0: All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, we'll get started with this. This can uh, last as long or as short as it needs to. And uh, I, I imagine, I remember, I remember being uh, when I was in seminary and sitting through really long lectures and thinking really hard about stuff, and I just got tired. And so. Uh, and I know that I, we've we've talked a lot, and so um, uh, if if everybody just goes, ah, I'm too tired to ask questions, and that's okay too, and we can all go home take a nap. So, <laughs> um, but no, I just wanna um, I just wanna open up the time for uh, questions, um, and w- I will just say if we can, let's keep let's keep the questions um, directed to the subject of this um, uh, of this uh, retreat of ministry that outlives you, disciple making, disciple making within the family, uh, leaving a legacy or finishing well, um, you know, some of that kind of thing. Uh, you know, if there's a uh, you know, random question of, you know, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons or something like that, we could talk about that book and of things <laughs> later. But, um, you know, if, if there's a question pertaining to specifically some of the things that we've talked about um, or uh, a specifics kind of question, um, then now would be the time to do that, uh, either for myself or for, for Derek, um, or say if, if it's a question for both of you, just you can say that. Um. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Cool. Okay, we're home. Everybody might be tired. So the, the what, why, and then the how? So the how is this, this the, the diagram at the bottom. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, equipped for every good work, and we send them out of that, out of that process. So basically it's, it's a way of saying, okay, what does God's word say, that's teaching, what, it, what is it that I am not doing, or, n- or not believing, or believing incorrectly? That's reproof. What do I need to believe? What do I need to change? What do I need to do? That's correction. And how do I, how do I nurture that and grow that? That's training in righteousness, so that it's a part of who I am, I'm different because of because of the interaction with God's word. for that. Would you mind helping us out with the microphone? It's, you might need to turn it on. Is it on? It is on. Okay. Thank you. Uh,
1: the other day, when one of you was saying that a Christian is a disciple, mm-hmm. and I Remember what I was when I was studying what I went across to. It says that um, Christianity is a long life education. Mm-hmm. It's as long as we
0: live. We mm-hmm. learn, learn, learn.
2: Yeah, that's a great that's a great statement and point. I think, of, I think of Paul, too. Paul echoes that same line of thinking. Um, he mentioned several times, pressing on for the mark of the prize, the high calling in Christ Jesus. He talked about in that same context in Philippians that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and over his whole life, yeah, lifelong learning process, yeah. And
1: um, what came up to me was that, too, um, if I see myself as educated now, can I accept Jesus, it's not going to help. I and mean, if I say myself, yeah, I'm saved now. And there's, I don't have to do anything now. Mm. That's, that will drive me from that path to the other, mm-hmm. because I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting and right. not um, trying to get more out
2: okay. The journey begins at yeah. your salvation. Yeah. <coughs> mm-hmm.
3: When you were bringing up the um, statistics about the 3% that's not being not just here, but it's, it's nationwide. So how do you, what are we going to do to bring them in? I mean, strategies to bring them in. One of the things when I try to invite people to church in Anchorage, they say, no, uh, they're not really Christians, because they're doing this, and like you said, you know, we are the only Jesus they see, and I said, I'm not going to go to church. Look how they are; they're not very forgiving. They're very rude, but I have to, you know, say not all Christians are like that. Well, so and so offended me, and they they come up with these excuses, and um, some of those challenges you have to, um, you know, I tell them, not every Christian is that way. We're all, we're all on different levels of faith. We're all on different levels of maturity, and I'm sorry that they did that. But those are the two, like being offended, someone offend them in the church, and the other is they're not really acting Christ-like.
0: So the question is, what is a strategy to, to, in, to engage that or respond to that? Yeah, so um, I, I can I'll share from a village perspective, a rural perspective, because that's kind of the where I'm where I'm at, um, and maybe I'll let Derek talk a little bit about um, the the urban urban context of of reaching. Um, but one of the things is you know that um, we we can't deal with what we don't know about, and that's why I think these statistics are so important for us because. I think a lot of times we just assume that everything's okay. Um, you know, we assume, oh yeah, that village has a church, but you don't realize that nobody's going to it. It's actually just a building, and so um, so we're we're working specifically in my area, but I'm I'm kind of doing it around the state too, trying to just figure out so what actually is the state of the church in in Alaska in the rural in the rural context, and um, and how do we help? How do we you know if. Is there is there a group of believers in that village? Are there are there disciples of Jesus in that village? And um, if there are, then how do we how do we equip them to make disciples themselves? Because it's not um, it's not the the pastor's job to to be the only person making disciples, and it's not the missionaries' jobs to make disciples. It's disciples' job to make disciples, and so it's a matter of are we actually equipping our, our people like is the province the Moravian province equipping Moravian people to make disciples of all nations that that would be the question and so if the answer is no then as, a, as an organization or as individual churches as individual pastors or elders we need to be thinking strategically how am I equipping the Saints for the work of ministry how am I equipping my people to make disciples not just me make disciples but them to make disciples too uh, in those places where there is no church where there are no disciples in that village to make disciples then the, then the question becomes um, uh, the Moravians would have, a, would have a very good history of this did you know that there, uh, the, the Moravian missionary movement that took place in the 17 and 1800s sent more missionaries than any other uh, denomination at all Huh? worldwide oh yeah I mean in an incredible way sacrificial ways one way they would there were Moravians that were selling themselves into slavery so that they could evangelize slaves so they could share the gospel with talk about the cost of being a missionary I mean it's it's expensive wearing our living where I live I didn't sell myself as a slave to be there that's a, that's an incredible thing so one of the points is to say do do. Um, What are you willing to do for your faith? What are you willing to do for your faith? And and as an organization, is that is that the vision that we're casting? uh, Me as a pastor, do I? And I will say yes, I do. Four Sundays ago, um, when we began our series on the Book of Acts, one of the very specific points that I brought up uh, was to my church saying, "I am praying that God sends some of you out of our church to go start churches where there isn't a church. I'm praying that God does that." I'm praying out of our church, he sends out missionaries. And, um, and to have that kind of a vision for our churches, which is, I mean, it's pain, I'm not, a, I'm not a big church, so if I lose good people that are able to plant churches, that's gonna hurt a lot, but they're not mine, they're, they're God's, and so, um, so that's kind of that strategy of going, where, where does the church exist, and how do we encourage them to, to be mature and make disciples themselves, and then how do we raise up laborers to go to the places where there is no church and help start it. So we can have some strategic stuff that we're working through on that. So that's kind of the rural context. I'll hand it over for the urban.
2: Uh, smiling, because you say urban context for Saldana. <laughs> Saldana is really not an urban context, but um, I wanna actually get back to maybe your specific question um, on people that we encounter with, uh, that throw out hypocrisy disobedience among Christians and not seeing it as real. Um, I I think of... I was trying to think of where in Scripture um, to go several places, but one that we could think of is Romans 7. In Romans chapter 7, you have Paul talking about this inward struggle that the things that I don't want to do that's the things I find myself doing. The things that I do want to do is the things that I don't do. It's kind of confusing back and forth. But even within the Apostle Paul as he's writing that letter about the, about the gospel and about doctrine in that epistle to, to Rome, he in the middle of that talks about this struggle that, that even he feels internally um, with his own flesh. He speaks to that in Galatians as well, in Galatians 5 and also in Ephesians 6 because in Ephesians 6 he talks about how within... The Christian life there is a struggle a spiritual warfare battle with our flesh and with the enemy that, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood he says to the Ephesians but then in Galatians chapter 5 he says that you are not to walk according to your flesh but to walk according to your spirit and he said the works of the flesh are these and the works of the spirit are these the fruit of the spirit and I think largely when we encounter people that have those types of arguments that they've seen hypocrites in the church, my, my point, my response to them and our response collectively to those that we come in contact with is, you know what? You're right. Sometimes we're all hypocrites because we are all on the process of sanctification. We're all in the process like like his uh, Chris's uh, diagram here of showing that upward trajectory, hopefully, but sometimes we... We struggle, we fail, but if we truly know Christ as our Savior, we're going to repent, we're going to confess, and we're going to continue to grow, and so I would encourage those people, um, when they see those things, they use those as excuses to look um, above, not on people, but look on Jesus of Scripture. People will fail you every time, and so stop looking at the church, stop looking at us, because we're human, we're going to fail, but look at Jesus. Look at the author and finisher and perfecter of our faith because he is the one that we press on toward, as Paul says in Philippians 3. Um, he's the one that we long to know. Um, he's the one who's started a good work in us and will bring it to completion, Philippians 2. Um, and so, along those lines, I've to redirect people's focus to yeah, you're right. We all struggle, but look at Jesus. Don't look at people. And don't use people as an excuse. Look at Jesus. Um, and then as far as Chris's point um, in, in, uh, in mindful of mission and sending out more people for, for missions worldwide, one of my absolute favorite passages in all of Scripture that I was really thinking about getting to and we just didn't have time to get to it was Romans 15. I love Romans 15 because in the very end of that letter, Paul shares his absolute passion to reach unreached people groups. And he's heard that there's people in Spain that has not heard the gospel yet. And he says, my ministry that Jesus has called me to is fulfilled. And you look at that and it's like, what do you mean your ministry's fulfilled? All the way from from Jerusalem to modern day like Albania on a map, he says all that region, I have no more room to work in there. Everybody's not saved, so what does he mean? He means that he has done his job of equipping leaders. There's churches there now that are to do their duty of reaching their areas. But he's heard in Spain that there's nobody, and so he is wanting to get to Rome so that way he and Rome together can reach Spain for the glory of God. And one of some, yeah, yeah, he he got to Rome, just maybe not the way he expected. Yeah, but but one of my questions, someone asked this the other day, I think in, uh, we have a, out of our church, we have some small group Bible studies that meet in homes. And in our small group, someone asked the other day, what, what question would you love to ask Paul someday? And some people answered, I'd love to ask what his thorn in the flesh was. But for me, I wanna know, did he ever get to Spain? Did he ever get to Spain? I, I wanna know that someday. But anyway, I love that, and I think the church needs to, as Chris said, Continue to to model that passion and equip the people that God has given you and pray that the Lord of the harvest sends forth more laborers into his harvest fields because we need workers. Amen.
4: Okay. You know, I came here as a guest, but I thought it was very, very interesting. You know, my mother coming here and then my sister coming here, so that was a very good thing. I've always been wanting to learn more about the Bible here. So I have 12 grandkids. I'm going to have one more in May next year, so I'll have 13. (laughs) Anyway, in regards to the, the U.S. is considered number three in the world, in the unreached population. So, for this area, in particular, Bethel as opposed to global uh, how would we engage the young the teenagers and the, the young ones you know what kind of strategy would you suggest because there's so much you know barriers that are really reaching us right now the Nintendo games, digital games, whatever, I forgot what they're called, but you know, I'm so old-fashioned, I couldn't even play Mario Brothers. (laughs) You know, those kind of games, and TV. So we have a lot of things that we're up against, but I really want to teach my children, my grandchildren, and their age group, and they have so many friends who, (coughs) but you know, my house, you know, when I first sobered up, 27 years ago was a sanctuary for my children's friends to come and sleep because, you know, their parents were, they were having a hard time. And a lot of them thank us to this day, you know, so that's my question. And the other one is not so much a question, but it's more like a statement. <clears throat> and I think you answered my question through my sister Bonnie here um, in regards to Romans chapter 7. Um, the other one was declare the truth of God's word in Hebrews to fulfill our ministry. The word of God is profitable for teaching. I had to think about that for a long time before I found God profitable. You know, you get something out of it. It's very good. But in relation to that, I kept thinking about this verse I learned at when I went to school at Victory High School regarding something that the race is set before us and I went up there and asked Reverend Cobb and he gave me Hebrews chapter twelve verses one and two. really thank you folks for Let me be here and ask a question.
0: so the question i think the main question was basically how do we how do we reach the young people is that, is that kind of a way to summarize that the beginning part of that anyways yeah, yeah. okay
4: especially the
0: preteens yeah preteens um During the teens and the teens yeah so um, probably could be an entire entire conference specifically on just teen ministry and philosophy of teen ministry um, but th- this would be the, as as quick as I can, as quick as I could possibly say it, um, teens want relationship. That that's teens want relationship. Um, it's why when with things like Facebook, when teenagers are on Facebook, and they, they post things like their thoughts or they have a paragraph, and you read it, and you're almost like, do do you think nobody is reading this? You know. Like, they'll just, you know, I call it vomit of the Facebook. They just kind of, you know, of everything. They're, they're, all their emotions and everything else that's out there. And, and it's like you're going, you know. Yeah. But, but what I believe is I, I think they're going like, I want to be known. I want somebody to know what's going on inside my heart. Even if you look at me and I'm just quiet and shy. And I don't ever say anything. But on Facebook, they're, oh, because teenagers really want to be known. And so I think uh, um, creating um, as a mission strategy, do, do we have relationships with students that are safe for them to be real and vulnerable with us, both, both young men and young women? Because young men are very, they, they've got emotions too, they've got struggles that they're wrestling with, they've got fears and worries. And, and um, having enough of those relationships and so the question really of, of what does youth ministry look like is uh, what are the best ways I can spend my time to develop those relationships with the kids? That's, that really becomes the question of what – it's not should I develop a relationship or not. That's not the question. It's just what do I do spending my time developing a relationship with those kids? So it might be something like um, as a missionary endeavor, volunteering for an after-school program, helping tutor kids. And you're developing a relationship with these kids that need help. And in the meantime, you know, we, we, all, we never want to stay in the physical. As we've talked about, as you go, make disciples, you know, we use the physical as a launching off point for the spiritual to help them understand we're always listening for, you know, those, those things that they're struggling with or those things that they're afraid of or those things that they're worried about or whatever. And we know that God's word speaks to those things. So we then use God's word to speak into those things but we, we do have to have some trust level with students. We do have to have some trust. They, they need to know that we love them. And uh, I love the phrase, um, you, you know, you've heard the phrase that God loves you just the way you are. You've heard that? But God also loves you enough to not let you stay that way. And that's, I think that's a true statement. And so as we think of students or young people, uh, that's the thing. I, I, they need to know that we love them as messy as they are, and I don't understand, I don't, I mean, I'm, you know, well, I have to admit, I'm, I'm twice as old as high schoolers now. That's kind of a, that's kind of a weird feeling. Um, but, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but realizing, like, I don't understand teenagers anymore. Like, I, I have forgotten the brain of a teenager. I've forgotten how they go. So, uh, but what I've realized is, I, I just, I, they need to understand that I love them in all of their messiness but I love them too much to let them stay there. So that's, that's that relationship, saturated in love and allowing truth to be injected. So it just, again, the ministry of high school, junior high, even kids, um, is based around relationship and so that I have, the, I have trust and, and um, the ability to share truth with them, teach them God's word, and interact with them in that way. So then, it just becomes the question of: So, what is the best use of my time to develop those relationships? Again, after school program, a special youth event, uh, inviting them. You know, if there's kids that are teens that are showing up to your house on or to your church on Sunday, are you inviting them over for lunch or for dinner or for uh, you know dried fish and sea oil or a guduk or skin sewing or working on? Arts and crafts, or fixing a snow machine, or you know, are you just inviting, you know, inviting them to come be a part, or injecting yourself into what they do so that you can develop relationship? Because relationship is is huge and is a key on that.
5: I notice kids when they're doing like crafts, like if you get if you know how to do skin sewing, or like I would do quilting. Well, sorry, if kids do crafts. Sometimes they open up and they talk a lot more when they're not just sitting there having a good, effort. you know, once they get that rapport, um, you know, they'll be doing crafts and they'll start talking, and sometimes you can't get this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sometimes they just let out their.
2: Home. Yeah. On some of this, too, uh, I think the other important component to at least mention is. In, in a perfect biblical setting, God's expectation is for the family unit to raise up the kids primarily. Now I understand I said in a perfect biblical setting because in a lot of places we are in broken settings where there's brokenness and there's various reasons why the parents cannot or are not um, in a position to do that with their own children. But still yet, I think there's, as we looked at in Deuteronomy 6, Uh, enough uh, emphasis on that in scripture that we as pastors and church leaders should be doing what we can to also be equipping moms and dads to do a better job with their kids so what that may look like um, would be, I think Chris alluded to this a little bit one of the days getting, doing some outreach doing some activities with the kids or with the youth but also bringing the parents in on it as well, collectively together trying to strengthen that that biblical relationship also now for those in broken circumstances where the parents because of substance abuse or whatever are not present um, that's where you have mentoring that that's basically what Chris is speaking to is relationship mentoring where we build these relationships intentionally and and Titus 2 is is kind of the passage for that when uh, Paul encourages Titus to have the the older women that train the younger women. Um, and then beyond that, you have um, the, uh, Paul telling Titus to urge the younger men to be self-controlled and to show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And so for the men as well to be engaging in the lives of younger men um, as mentors and setting yourself as an example and being intentional in your relationship with them as well. Um, so yeah, I would also inject um, and say you are never too
0: old to engage young people. That's right. Ever, you are never you are never too, don't don't go. Well, we just need younger people to do it. We we need people to do it. Um, and so, uh, you know, you, you may not like, you know, the whole flat build baseball cap thing that's going, like, teenagers wearing the flat-billed baseball, like, yeah. I, I don't understand that at all. It's okay. Yeah, it's right? It's a it, Yeah, it, like, and so, I mean, we have conversations like, why, doesn't that hurt, you know, like, kind of thing like that? But it's okay, I don't have to understand that because I understand what it means to be a man. And I understand what it means, what the challenge to be a young man. And so I can speak into them even though I don't understand the, the flat-billed hat. You, you follow me? Like, I don't have to understand all those things as, you know, just being older. But I do know what it means to be a man, and so I can I can call the I can call the man out of the young man, mm-hmm. um, and walk in them, and, and uh, especially you know the older men and the, the older ladies, um, you know, it, you may not do the all night lock in kind of thing. That may not be the the event that you do, but you can you can invite them over to your house for a gudik, um, and just love them, and, and create a safe pace place for them to to be heard and known.
6: Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier. Mentioned uh, earlier, (laughs) (laughs) earlier you mentioned that uh, our aim, our goal is not to make moral sinners, Uh, but in today's world, in our time today, there's so much of that going on and. uh, I think it it would be good for you to reiterate that a little bit more, you know, spend a little more
0: time on it. Is that okay? Sure. Thank you. So the the question and answer time is. Do you
2: want to interject anything on that? Um, Well, I think largely that has always been going on um, in the form of just religion in general, Um, religious expression that's been empty of any real life, life change. It's just empty religion that basically brings about behavior modification. And I think of that like in the context of of counseling. When we seek to disciple or we counsel somebody, we try to get down to that heart level to see the heart needs to change, not just the surface behavior level. If you run your skiff into a rock and you have a hole in your skiff, um, the problem is there's a hole in your skiff. So if you just try to go work on the motor a little bit and change the spark plugs on the motor and put it back in the water, you didn't address the issue. It's still gonna sink. If you try to just put duct tape over the hole and take it in the water, you didn't address the issue. It's still going to sink. And there may be a hole up there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In that case, yes. So getting to the heart above behavior modification on the surface, What's driving the issue? When, when, a, when a marriage is falling apart, there could be many, many things that's driving that issue. When someone commits adultery on their spouse, what's really driving that issue? When someone looks at pornography, what's really driving that issue? When someone goes after drugs or alcohol what's driving that issue. You can take something like pornography and take someone's computer away and say, there, I fixed it. They're no longer gonna struggle anymore. We fixed it. You didn't address the heart. You just duct taped over the hole. And so getting beyond the behavior surface down to the heart, of what's controlling the idolatry in their heart that's driving that motive.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, that's exactly right. I think a, um, uh, I think a good story from from the Bible that would uh, would help us explain that a little bit clearer is um, remember the rich young ruler who yeah. comes to Jesus yeah. and he comes and he says, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" And Jesus sees him and he and he basically tells him, "Well, you know what the law says: don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't you know all of these things?" And do you remember what his answer was? He's, what the,
5: dead. He's there.
0: I uh, says, I've done all of these since my youth. Per- like, I mean, really? He- this is a morally upright. Honestly, if, this, if the rich young ruler walked into pretty much any of our churches, he's, he's young, he's energetic, he's got money, he's educated, and he's highly moral. Honestly, most of us would look at him and go, let's make this guy like a leader in our church. Like, everything about him looks like this is, this is the type of leader we're looking at, right? Mark's gospel records something really interesting. Mark's gospel says, when, when he answered this, Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, this one thing you lack, go and sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me.
6: And, In other words, no compromise.
0: No compromise, and well, and and here was here was the deal. Um, you know the phrase we say, "Jesus loves you." Jesus loves you. Jesus loved the rich young ruler, and guess what? It it didn't save him because he didn't love him back. Like he he had everything that we would say is a good church member: moral, money, probably tithed. Was just he was. Probably one of those guys that showed up to help set up chairs and made the coffee pot. Like, he was everything we would want as a good church member, but he didn't love Jesus. And so that, that's that, you know, that empty picture where we also need to communicate like Jesus loves you, but your response you needs to be love him back. You need to love him back. And that's going to cost you. There is no compromise in it. There's, you've got to love. It wasn't that Jesus hates rich people. That wasn't, that wasn't the point of that, that message. It was that you love other things more than me. Your money is your God, not me. And so the, the response to that of we, we, we don't want to create, you know, we don't want... Um, Biblically, we don't want teenagers who just do the motions of being a good Christian and don't actually love Jesus. Um, and so we say love Jesus and what that looks like is don't have sex before marriage because you love Jesus. Uh, Be wise with your money so that you love Jesus. Your, your career field and who you marry and what you do with your kids and all of those are because you love Jesus. It all flows out of that. So that would be the kind of fleshing that out a little bit. Thank you for that. That's good. Any other questions?
5: How do you um, tell kids that pornography, if they don't think there's anything wrong with pornography, how do you, what, what, uh, what do you tell them? I mean, we, we know that it's wrong, right. but everybody's doing it. You know, all the kids are doing it. Watching it on
2: their phones or whatever. So, what, um, you have scripture or just say no? I'll let you start now. Um, two things that come to mind right off the bat, and, um, but one, he hit on it earlier on God creating us as in his image. Right. And so, in the very beginning, Genesis, the first two, three chapters, we see that. Adam and Eve created the first, first humans created in God's image and expressly for the purpose of fellowshipping God, living with Him and God designs them in such a way that they have they are sexual beings but within the context of marriage and God designs them in such a way that, uh, that the man pursues the woman and the woman, woman um, submits to the man in this way that they complement one another to where this highest form of bond that comes together. And I think of it sometimes this way too. In, in the image of God, you have male and female. There's various aspects. We talked about roles, whatever day that was yesterday. There's various aspects to maleness that shows the Godhead and various aspects of femaleness that shows the Godhead. And in marriage, when we come together in that most intimate act together that we're bonded. In that moment, the full expression of maleness and femaleness come together to show the Godhead, the image of God. And there's such dignity in that way. And so setting that up is kind of the foundation, the basis first. And then going into, uh, into the New Testament, into the Gospels, where Jesus said that, you've heard it say, that, uh, that adultery... Is wrong, but he goes on and says that any man who looks with lustful intent after a woman um, has already committed adultery in his heart. He's basically taking, um, he's he's upping the expectation of, oh, I'm moral, I'm good, I haven't actually done this, but he says in your heart you actually have done this, and God is concerned with the heart, not just with what you done on the surface. And so those two things I would go over time, explaining the dignity that God has designed us with, his purpose for sexuality. Um, And therefore, if you go under lust with an image on a screen, you're lusting from your heart and you're objectifying that in a way that God has never designed it to be. Um, There's a lot more to it, but basically those those two things is my initial thoughts anyway yeah I think the um,
0: the way that I've uh, walked it through with young men so I the way that I would address it with uh, like children like my ten-year-old my son that I've had I've had that conversation with with him already at, at the level of um, giving him permission to like talk with me if if he encounters that with his friends or things like that where it's it's safe to like um, I am a safe place to talk, and that in that kind of a thing, and beginning to help him understand. Like he knows, um, he knows what he knows. Where babies come from, he knows it's God's design. He knows that kind of thing, um, and that there are. And so, so basically, I make a blanket statement that says God has a design that He has He has laid out in in what His plan is, and then Satan has taken that plan and corrupted it in so many other ways. Not just in pornography, but in lots of other ways. And so if you see those things or you're being pressured for those things, then I give him a permission to come and help me talk about it because my, my job is not simply to just say don't do it, but my job is to uh, help um, help correct his thinking, help him think biblically about it and be trained up in righteousness so that he's equipped to handle it when he can't come to me or when, you know, when it's immediately in his face. Um, and so hel- helping him to think uh, think biblically about uh, how that um, how that works, and really specifically with the when I when I talk with young men, like say high schoolers or twenty somethings, or even 60 year old men that I've talked with that have uh, issues with pornography, and helping them to understand the lie that it is uh, that it is. Um, uh, Really, pornography functions the same way, it's the same type of lie that drugs are. It's, it's a, it is a chemical addiction that, that lies to them and says, if you buy into this, you'll be happy. Uh, in the same way that heroin or pots or alcohol or any of those other things, it lies to it. And so um, it's, it's pointing out what is the idolatry nature of those things. And so that's, that's on a more mature level. Like I wouldn't, you know, to an eight-year-old, I wouldn't have a conversation about idolatry and pornography and that, because they're not, they're not gonna get that, but they understand God has a good plan. Like the, be- the best way I can I explain to you, I like, if you've caught, I like illustrations, because I, I think they help us understand things. I'll, I'll ask my son, I'll say, is fire good? And he says, well, you, yeah, I mean, we cook over it when we're camping, or we have it in the wood stove and it warms the house, and I say, "That's good, okay. If fire is on the wall, is it good? Well, no, that's that's not a, yeah, fire on the wall is a very, very bad thing. I say, but why? Isn't fire good? Well, as long as fire is where it's supposed to be, it's beautiful, it's warm, it's inviting, it's helpful, it's safe. but when fire gets outside of where it's supposed to be, it's damaging, it's deadly, so is sex. God, God gave a beautiful design for it. And when we let it go outside of where God said, this is good, this is right, this is wholesome, this is edifying, it burns lives down. And so eight-year-olds can understand that very, very well. Yeah. And you're starting to filter. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: You know Start what, here. I think would are really well, if I may say something. Sure. But just what you said is to illustrate in a book, you know, before if we are going to
0: Know, to equip us. There, there, there is, there are some really good books. Um, uh, I mean, I'll have to look, I'll have to look up uh, the name of one of them, but I, um, uh, there, there's a, there's a series of books that are actually age specific. So they're written, you know, like a, like a, a board book for a two-year-old. It's not really wordy. It's got lots of pictures and things like that. There, there's one that's, you know, it's a, it's a book series. It's like from, you know, uh, four to six years old. And it basically just describes, in very basic terms, God's design for how babies come into the world. So just a very simple, simple understanding of that. And then from like, uh, there's another book that's like seven to nine years old that begins to talk about your body and what, what it is good for you to understand about your own body and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and then begins to under- describe the relationship of mommy and daddy and and how did their love make me kind of some of those kind of conversations and then the next one talk, you know, and it just gets it gets uh, those. So um, remind me I'll, I'll try to see if I can't find the find the names of those um, and we've used those with our kids and they were they were good you know, conversation places to start. So.
2: Anything else? I will throw in one other thing, though. As far as the sexual piece, I was debating whether to say this, but um, in our treatment of God's version of sexuality, God's design of it, um, I find that sometimes, if we're not careful, we can come across like sex is dirty, sex is gross. And as Chris mentioned, it's not. It's beautiful in God's design, in God's way. And and we can either we can either go to the pitfall where we make sex a gross thing. Um, or we can go to the Pitfall where we make sex a God thing where it's an idol. But what we need to see biblically is it's a gift. And so it's not gross, it's not a God thing, but it is a gift to be treated properly. A couple people. Somebody, Joyce, somebody there.
7: How would you approach We all know somebody with a different sexual orientation, with claims to be Christian or wants to be, but you know, approaching, bringing it up.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, I can. I'll interject. I'll I'll, I'll jump into that first. Um, My response to somebody who is struggling with same-sex attraction is the same approach that I have that. Um, of somebody who is struggling with sex outside of marriage uh, is saying that um, we all have a propensity to sin. It's just the question of whether or, not we want to, or whether or not we are willing to call it sin. And some people aren't. They're not willing to. They're not willing to. They're not willing to. I mean, the, the, the Bible is not gray on that subject as much as anybody wants to make it gray on the subject, it is it is just simply not. So it becomes the question of saying, do I, believe, do I believe what the Bible says is true and is it something that I struggle with? Is it something that I... The Bible says that for me to have an affair on my wife is wrong. It's very clear on that. But if I struggle with that, if I wrestle with that, if that's a temptation that I would have, it it still does not negate the fact that the Bible says it is wrong for me to have an affair on my wife, and so it becomes: Am I am I willing to say, I submit to the Word of God, even if it's hard? And and I'm saying that in a in a I mean in this setting, if I'm talking with that person, I would I would speak truth in love, and I'd be very I, I would be very gentle and patient with and, and ask a lot of questions, because it, it has been my experience, a lot of, a lot of people that, that struggle with same-sex attraction have been, have been physically abused. Uh, there's very, very deep pain. Um, a lot of, specifically ladies that I, I know of that, have, that struggle with lesbianism, um, that they struggle with same-sex attraction, um, that they've been abused and hurt by men. And so, I don't wanna be hurt by another man ever again. And ladies understand me, and they they get so they must be loved, you know. And so there's there's a there's a gentleness and a walk in that, but it it has to be. Uh, and this is a hill I'm I, I'm happy to die on, is that the word of God is true. Um, and I and I will be persecuted. We will be persecuted because we believe that the word of God is true. So, um, it comes to that question of: Am I willing to submit to that? And then, am I willing to walk through that? There, there are some really good resources. Um, actually, uh, there's a uh, if, uh, there's an organization called the Gospel Coalition uh, that produces a lot of articles, news articles. And They actually have several um, uh, published or uh, was word contributors who've written articles who are individuals who have struggled with same-sex attraction and have found deliverance from that because of belief in the gospel and a submission to. To that, and so it's just a question of, um, uh, you know, holiness in a person that struggles with same-sex attraction is is not, not sleeping with another person. Holiness of a person who s- struggles with same-sex attraction is them being submitted under God. That's that's what real holiness is. Again, it's not behavior modification. That's not what I'm, I'm after. We're after the heart. So that that would be kind of how I would.
2: Move into that yeah and there's there's several uh really good books out there too on that subject um, that we could give you some of those titles if you're interested in looking further one of them is written by a, uh, a guy by the name of sam alberry um i think it's A L B E R R Y, something like that sam alberry and the book is called is god anti-gay is god anti-gay and it's a short book but he's one who has wrestled with same-sex attraction in his past, and he walks through how God delivered him from that and brought him to to life in Christ, and how he deals with even that temptation in his life now. Um, and so it's a it's a good treatment of that subject. Um, one other thing, I'm just gonna hang on to what Chris said. Um, the, one of the main passages that we see this just clear as day is in Romans 1. And Romans 1 is very clear um, when it talks about God gave them up to the lusts of their own hearts, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Um, and it talks about uh, the woman with the woman, the man with the man. Um, and it's very clear that that is not God's plan. But ultimately, the end of the matter is if they accept that, as Chris said, to submit their life to that. But, we also have to understand that, as he mentioned um, later on in Romans 1, it says that God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And then he gives us some examples beyond just homosexuality. He says, verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, How'd that get in there? Slanders, haters of God, insolent, they're haughty, prideful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. It is not that where we are going as a society today that as a, as a secular society in America, we almost pride ourselves of some of these positions that that we hold as a nation these days, but not us in the church. So in the church, we have to call people to see that homosexuality is a sin just the same as being disobedient to parents is a sin. And it's something that we can't have victory over to walk someone out of that. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard to walk someone out of that because it's a process of rewiring the way that they've skewed their brain chemically even to think and react uh, in this utmost sexual attraction. And and the last thing I'll say to that that makes it so challenging, God has designed us in such a way that in that act of sexual consummation, whether it be self-serving with a screen, or whether that be with someone who is, you're not married to, or whether that be with someone from the same gender, When that act of sexual intimacy happens, at that climax moment, God has designed our bodies in such a way that that our our brains actually release a certain chemical that is designed to bond ourselves to that individual who is supposed to be our spouse. And one of the things that, that God has designed in sex is this beautiful thing where we are bonded to that person as our spouse. The problem is if we if we take outside and we, we bind ourselves to an image on a screen, someone who's not our spouse or the same gender, we slowly start to train our physical bodies to be attracted and addicted to that particular object. And so it's a process over time to retrain and be set free back to the way God has designed it. Um, the, I texted my wife and she texted me back. Uh, the
0: the series is called God's Design for Sex series. It's four books, uh, by Stan Jones, Stan and Brenda Jones. It's the the first book is The Story of Me. Sounds like a little children book, right? It's The Story of Me. Where did you know? Where did I come from? Is kind of the question. Stan and Brenda Jones is the authors of it. Uh, the second one is Before I Was Born. So it's for a little bit older kids, then older up for that is what's the big deal? So talking about like junior hires, what's the big deal about sex? And then the last is facing the facts. Um, so that's really good. I've, I've used um, two of these so far with our kids because that's the ages where they're at um, and the rest has just been conversation. Um, but I would recommend those. Those are good resource. What uh, uh, was the last one? Yeah, but, or the story of me before I was born. Uh, what's the big deal? And facing the facts. Yeah, so it's the series is called just is just called God's Design for Sex series, and I bet if you go over and talk to to uh, Barb over at the the bookstore, I bet you she can probably order it for you. If she doesn't, maybe she might even have a copy of them there. I don't know, but um, she would she would have the ability to to track those down for you. So facing
5: the fact mm-hmm. what age group is
0: that? I don't remember. I think it's I don't want to say it's teenage like high school age, I think. I think the other one is like junior is junior high okay. and then older elementary and younger elementary is kind of the kind of the way that yeah. okay. it flows. Well dear friends, I think uh, oh you got one?
7: For the sake of better labels, you've got traditionalism and then, what do they like to call it? Liberal. Huh? Liberal? Liberal. Right. And you know there's a specific design for worship, and there's... How how about walking somebody through that?
0: So are are you talking about... It's like a, the way a service is organized? Is that how you like like a, maybe no, are you talking about not contemporary not. versus traditional or
7: I mean no, liberal, like as in full blown holy laughter rolling on the floor.
0: Okay. So in, in terminologies, that would tend to be classified as charismatic. Okay, that That would be that would be the term. Yeah, yeah. So charismatic versus um Traditional or orthodox—probably um, a whole other conference on this on this subject. On this subject, let me let me try to let me try to um, let me try to bring it into some of the subject from which we've been talking on on discipleship. Um, disciple making is based not upon experience but upon the Word of God. And we are called to give the whole counsel of God. So there there are, um, when people teach, we need to make sure that when we teach, we, um, we do not uh, teach God's word in isolation of itself and out of context. So, as an example, um, and it's a, it's a it's a, it's a dumb example, but it's 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 a good it's what I use when I teach on preaching. Um, the Bible says you've heard this phrase before. The Bible says Judas hanged himself, and it does say that. It says that in the Bible you can find the passage that says Judas hanged himself. The Bible also says in a totally different place and a totally different thing, "Go thou and do likewise." And in another place, the Bible says, and whatever you set your mind to do, do it quickly. Now, the Bible says all of those things, not about each other, and that's not the... But I have made the Bible say what I want it to say, rather than taking the whole counsel of God and saying, what does the Bible say? It says that he killed himself, and that was not okay. I mean, that's not... that self-murder is not okay, those, those principles. So when it comes to, and I would say this, when it comes to either things like charismaticism or traditionalism, I would say we take all of it and we test everything, is what Paul says. Test everything, because the truth is, there are some things within traditionalism. Do you remember, do you remember the, the, um, the bronze serpent that Moses made when people were getting bit by snakes and they were, they were dying of it? And Moses made a bronze serpent. God told Moses to make a bronze serpent that he would hold up and they would look at it and they, they would be healed from their snake bites. Mm-hmm. And that bronze serpent stayed in Israel for a while until at a certain point in time, people began to worship it. And I can't remember the passage, but uh, was it Hezekiah? I'd have, to, I'd have to look up specifically which one. But one of the kings finally destroyed it because it was a good thing being used in a bad way that was leading people astray. And there are things within traditionalism that can do the same thing. So we have to be honest with those things. But we also take the, when people say, aha, here's something new. We take it and we, we apply scripture to it, and most of the time, if somebody says, "Aha! I have found something new," I will say, "No, you've just dug up an old heresy," yeah. because most of the time they are just simply new heresies. Yeah. So, Second Kings eighteen four, and it was who was it? it? Didn't say which which. Yeah, which which is he? Which one is he? Sorry.
5: I wonder if they have it recorded. How long that? I just I love history. Right. How long that statue actually Was healed people before they started? now I yeah. don't know.
0: Yeah. It's so, got to be
5: recorded in history somewhere. Right.
0: <laughs> so, but those kind of things, it's um, it's us always taking what we're doing, and we're always called in every generation to refresh. Um, it was it was Hezekiah. Okay, it was Hezekiah that did that. Um, so we're we're always called to take the what we 18, do, Second Kings eighteen, and figure out the why it is why we do it biblical, and um, and then to know the like why why did we start you know why did we start doing it this way what was the, what's the history behind it and was that biblical and all of those things and it's and it's okay to do those things but um, but we have to be you know it's uh, it's it's what we you know we, we take the whole council of God and we take the, the whole council of the church and we listen and we listen um, you know one of the thing and I, and I know there's some history within the Moravian Church with some of the charismatic stuff that just really went crazy and I understand, and I really do understand that um, I, I have known some some charismatic people that deeply love Jesus um, I've also known some that just really love the weird, the weird stuff. Yeah. Um, and the part that, of those brothers that really, brothers and sisters that really did deeply, deeply love Jesus. One of the unique things that they, that they've taught me and emphasized is that they've just emphasized the point of saying, do, do you understand and know the Holy Spirit? Is that, is that something that we, you know, that we know and we understand? And, and so it caused me to go back to God's word and say, what does God's word say about the, the counselor? And how does he, how does he convict me? And that you know that kind of thing so it does shape us and help us remind that so.
3: you just said what I was going to say when, when something new comes up research it in here mm-hmm. in
0: the Bible don't just take yeah. it as, as Derek said one of the first days he says, I hope everybody as you listen to us you are very Berean are you familiar with that, that term you know from Acts the yeah. Bereans when it was a Bereans they were they were a group of group of Jews outside of Thessalonica right mm-hmm. uh, who who uh, it says that he, he went and he preached the gospel to them. And whereas all the other ones were like, "Oh, we don't like what you're saying." It says that the Bereans said, "We will go and see, search the scriptures and see what you say if what you say is true." Yeah. B e r e a n and it's in Acts 17. Acts 17
2: verses 10 through 15. Acts 17 10 through 15. They were no, more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And that's what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that's important too, as Chris has been talking about, is, is just underscoring this point of studying the scriptures in context. Mm-hmm. And in our discipling, teach people to study in context. And what does that look like? You may see a verse, like what he mentioned go in that verse you read. Okay, so you read the verse we just read. They examined the word, the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Okay, well what is that what is that what was going on? Well, you can look at the verses before it and the verses after it and get an idea in context of what he's talking about. John 11:35, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. You look at Jesus wept and and, and you could take that and say, okay, so we need to all weep. Let's all weep. We need to apply this. We need to weep. But you got to understand, what's the context? Look in the, look in the passage. Look around the verses around John 11. And you see that Jesus was remorseful, in, or mourning rather, um, because of the loss of his friend Lazarus. Yes. Um, and so seeing in context. And modeling that, hopefully, as you have opportunity to teach and to preach in the churches that you're at. Model that. Uh, in context, it's good, thanks. is mm-hmm. this Well I think um, where I would initially my thoughts on that is Paul in um, uh, one of those First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus all blend together for me at some point because Paul's just so passionate and all that. Um, one of those chapters remind me if you know and trust these things of the faithful men. I was just looking at it. I'm just trying to think if it's Titus two, if it's first Timothy. Right, well, w- what specific chapter it's in. Um, I want to say... Is
5: talking Titus?
2: Paul is talking with yeah. Uh yeah. But maybe, as uh, Chris looks that up for us, um, when we understand the expectation for us to entrust these things to faithful leaders, faithful men, um, the idea embedded within there is not someone who's... Approaching their Christian life casually, or approaching their Christian life just with partial effort—if they're not a faithful—okay, Second 2 Timothy two two. I knew it was two two two. yeah. So Second Timothy two two, Paul tells Timothy to entrust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so, it's faithfulness is the. Is the importance faithfulness, and so I, that's where I would come I yeah. If
0: yeah, that would be that would be what I would um, uh, what I would encourage too is for uh, for better or worse, the the, the the front of the church, the stage, the microphone, the pulpit, um, it it's, it shapes people's belief. Like what is said from that place shapes how people think. What they believe and how they live and so um, so we as leaders I I do believe really should be really uh, really careful with that place not because it's supernatural or sacred or something like that but because of what it what it does it should be imitatable yeah it should be imit. yeah the people should be imitatable Uh, the message should be true Um, you know what I mean so um, what is said from that, if nobody, you know, you know, you could have somebody that could get up there who we think everything is good about, and then they start saying false things. And if nobody gets up afterwards and corrects it and says, no, that's not true. This is what God's word says, and I'm going to show you, then everybody who heard it would, might very well say, well, maybe this is true. And so error sneaks in. So, so I would say we, we do need to be very careful with that position, that, that um, the speaking element. And I would say this extends past just like teaching or preaching, but even in, when we when we talk about testimonies, a lot of times that becomes, that that's like an open, oh we're just gonna open the mic and let people come up and give testimonies and things like that. Um, and so that, that again is one of those things that I think leaders need to just be uh, mindful of and thoughtful of, mm-hmm. of, what is it that's being said in a testimony? Um, because I can get up and talk about my experience, and my experience can be completely against the Word of God. And my, because my experience is, it's what I experienced and my opinion of what my experience was, and um, and then I can just mask and say, well, this is my testimony. And that that can be a very, very dangerous thing as well. So. Um, it, it is important for us as leaders, you know, and I said, uh, when I taught uh, yesterday, and I taught on character, character matters. It really, really matters. And so we, we need to, as leaders, value that in the church. Do we value character, the, does the character of the people that we are looking to, to teach and educate the church, does their character, not that they're perfect, because nobody is, that's not the point, but they, are they walking in faith? Are they walking in humility? Are they walking you know are they thinking biblically, living biblically, preaching biblically and and walking in that way? Mm-hmm. Uh,
7: that kind of goes into an interesting section. So you've got the the culture, right? Where it's almost you don't want to um, correct, but encourage quietly, uh, say, add open that mic or, say, the elder or the pastor speaking says something that's maybe not quite in line, to correct, how would you, I mean, open mic is pretty easy. You get up after the person and correct, but say later on. It's,
0: I mean. Yeah. I um, mean, there's so many things. Um, Matthew 18 comes to mind when it comes to error. Um, and oftentimes when we think of sin, we think of an action, like somebody has sinned. They've done something wrong. But sin is also false belief. When we believe something wrong, we sin in that. and We have to repent of that and believe what is true and respond, that's, that's the same in that. So, in those kind of situations, um, Matthew 18 says, if you see your brother in sin, go and show him the error of his way. And if he receives you, then you have won your brother. So this is basic discipleship. This is me saying I love you enough to point you to truth. And, I mean, um, a lot of times we call that passage church discipline but it's really just discipleship. It's any time that you've ever gone into a Bible study believing something falsely, you studied the word and all of a sudden your, your mind was changed, you were disciplined you were, because you were discipled. So it's whether it's a, a pastor or anybody else and you go and it may be that you come to them and you say, you know, I, I don't think that what you said was correct. Can you show me that? And they may, might show you from the word of God and you go, oh, actually, no, I, I actually was wrong in how I, what I thought about that. And iron sharpens iron at that point. But it may be that they're like, well, this is just my opinion. And so your responsibility is to go, well, look, this is what the Word of God says. And then Matthew 18 has a layout of going, if they say, well, I don't care what the Bible says. This is what I think. Okay, well, then let me gather some other faithful brothers or sisters to come and walk in the truth of God's Word with you. And that's what he says. If, if he, if he uh, go and show them the mirror of his way, if he listen to you, you've won brother. If he won't listen to you, then bring two or three witnesses with you again in private. This is not out in public. We're not shaming. We're we're loving and nurturing and encouraging. Um, and this is on either error or out and out sin. You know, we found out that so and so's um, being not patient with their wife or abusive or whatever else. And we're, man, don't what are you doing? You know. And then if at a certain point in time, there if it's a, if it's a big enough issue, uh, and they're just not willing to do it not willing to see it, not willing to respond to it. You've showed them God's word. Everybody around you is showing them God's word. They're not willing to do it. Then he says, then bring it to the church. And if he won't, won't, if he won't listen to the church, then treat him as you would a sinner, tax collector. And there's a lot a lot to that. But it basically, at the end of church discipline, it stops being about discipleship and it becomes about evangelism because I'm assuming that you don't understand the conviction of the Holy Spirit on your sin. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to know how to be sure sh- uh, sharpened in your Christian walk, you need to understand the gospel that you're a sinner in need of a savior. It's, I jump back to what is very basic. So that's, um, it's messy, very, very messy. But it's, uh, when it's done in love, and I think that's the point where he says, if you see your brother, and it's like this is, the, the church is always talked about in family terms. We love, we love our family, we love our brothers, we love our sisters, right? We love our mom, we love our dad, and we respond accordingly to that because they're my, you, you are my brothers, you are my sisters, and I love you because of that. And so that's that picture. It's all
2: saturated in love, but it, it has to be in truth. Um. So um, the other thing, too, I was thinking to add to Matthew 18 Um because I think your question largely is is this the setting for this happening in a very public setting Because it's in a gathering where there's lots of people present and so that brings us to a point where um, It does potentially have to be corrected before the people that the error was taught or said Depending on what the situation is. I know there's a little bit of subjectivity there if the person said something that not a lot of people could pick up on. Not, not that serious, but just didn't quite sound right. As opposed to someone getting up there and saying that uh, salvation is not by faith in Jesus, it's by doing good stuff. Well, that's false teaching, right, that goes out. And so that needs to be corrected. But the other thing here in 1 Timothy 5, Um, Paul tells Timothy there to do not rebuke an older man but encourage him as you would a father and then later uh, talking about elders in verse 19 of 1 Timothy 5 he says do not admit admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses and so understanding if this is a church leader who is promoting something that's wrong to go to him Uh, To seek to encourage him as an older man. And if it is an outright false teaching scenario, um, to have two or three witnesses. If it's very public, of course, it's going to be um, not as difficult to have two or three go to have that Matthew 18 process. And then the final passage in Galatians 2, uh, you have Paul uh, confronting Peter over Peter's sin. Of uh, showing himself to be, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, He hangs out just with the Jews instead of of also with the Gentiles. So the the Jewish leaders come up and rather than hanging out with the Gentiles, he wants to look like he fits in. And so he goes, he's partial, goes to the Jews. So Paul calls them out on that publicly because of his public sin of disdaining a people whom God says are united with them now. And so there is an element of of publicly addressing something if it's publicly, biblically offensive and false, but having discretion and wisdom in how you do that. Good question.
1: Next. Um, I want to sing a song. Just watch, listen to the words.
8: Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in his way. He has no tongue but our tongues to tell men how he died. He has no help but our help to bring them to his side. We are the only Bible, the careless world will read, we are the sinner's gospel, we are the scoffer's creed, we are the Lord's less message, given in deed and word. What if the tide is crooked? What if the print is blurred? What if our hands are busy with other things than His? What if our feet are walking? where sin's alarm is. What if our tongues are speaking of things his life would burn? How can we hope to help him and welcome his return?
0: Yeah, that was good.
6: Thank you. That's very that. true. Here's the Jones, Here's Jones. I want to comment on that last question that I think you have a choice to ask. And listening to you, uh, it's not easy when uh, it's during a church service when. Uh, couldn't uh, be said a word in a wrong way. Uh, or that listen for those that know us. It's, it's not easy to make a correction in, uh, in a setting like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember one time, uh, he was a younger man than me that came up and shared a little. and The part of what he said was that uh, all the Christians will not be saved. Uh, it was, uh, that was uh, something uh, that I I didn't want to let go like that because of my concern for the younger generation. Uh, so I had to get up and uh, make a correction on that, uh, explained uh, what quite a Christian is, what happens when a person becomes a Christian. There's a spiritually, uh, the way God works, things that happen in that person's life. But then, uh, uh, thinking of my younger ages when I was growing up, my understanding from my observations was that uh, Since we're a small village, we know everybody. There are some that go to the church, and there are some that do not go to go to church. And uh, people call those that go to church, uh, in our way, uh, in our language, Christians, because of what they say. You know, see they're active with the church. Whereas uh, uh, today, uh, even uh, with our lessons, there's a a shape, you know, uh, that that the uh, person doesn't become a Christian just by uh, obedience, uh, but by what uh, happens within. His heart, how the Spirit works within him. The change takes place and that person becomes a Christian. Whereas uh, sometimes I wonder, you know, uh, people that are active in a church, they're uh, I wonder some I, I wonder about some people to, to uh, if they had experienced salvation in their lives and they they're, they're active in the church but there are some things that they do that makes me concerned about uh, question them but I'm not in the position to uh, say, who is saved and uh, who is not saved? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I don't make judgments on that. Uh, but uh, I also wanted to express uh, my appreciation of uh, your teachings uh, these three days. Uh, I'm uh, understanding a lot uh, practically. Uh, where it's easier for me to apply what we, what uh, you guys have brought out with your teachings, I I understand more and uh, seems like uh, they're easier for me to apply when when I get home to my village. And I just wanted to express that and to let you know that we appreciate what you're doing here. The Lord. And uh, of course, it's the Holy Spirit that's working mm-hmm. within our hearts, using you too. Thank you. Thank you.
3: I am so refreshed. I really appreciate everything—the teaching, the, the Bible verses. I came uh, to come see my dad and. And also just to get away from city life and my teenage mutant teens mutating on me. So it's been really refreshing and it's like revamping the desire to continue. Um, Right now I'm just, I'm doing Sunday school. I go to a Korean uh, Assembly of God church. And so it's been so refreshing. And um, it's like it's re- revamping my, my diligence to the Lord. It's been refreshing. Um, it's, it's almost like, you know, Acts 738, out of his heart, will throw rivers of living water. And I just, even I didn't know this was happening. So it's been a really big blessing. And it's like I'm getting refilled and re- re-downloaded to. To the the mission that we have for God and I it's been so nice and um, I really appreciate I I was really I was really impressed by the discussions too because it um, it stimulated each in in each in us and brought out some ideas that we didn't even know before like I got some notes and um, it's like a new like a new vision. When you hear someone else talking about something that's different than what you're usually doing, um, uh, it's really good to be reteachable. It's it's good to have a teachable heart and be open. Mm. So I've been really blessed, and I I'm ready to go back home to Anchorage, <laughs> renewed, literally renewed, because it's just run 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 in Anchorage, mm. and it's just stopped me, and it's been really good. Thank you for coming out. Thanks for the books. I'm excited. Thank you.
2: Thanks for coming.
4: And speaking from a grandmother's perspective, even though I am very young to be a grandmother, I have teenage grandchildren. They range from four years old all the way to eighteen. And my youngest grandson, who's going to be one in December, But anyway, I really appreciate the names of the books here. I might try to look online, maybe on Amazon, to look for the titles of these books. But you know, I'm always interested in what my mother is doing because whatever she does ever since I was little, going to church and the like, women's fellowship, I always was interested. I've always been interested in the Bible anyway. I, I found my old Bible at mom's. You know, when I was like maybe in first or second grade, I, said, oh, my, my, my. <laughs> I couldn't believe it has my old hand curse the when I first learned to write cursing. Oh, I just could not believe, it. and I even had some passages in there that I, you know, underlined. So, but this is very refreshing. I really appreciate this. Um, you folks coming out, and I am redirected to try to learn more about God's word and the truth. And the way of the truth is the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's what I remember in Sunday school. I used to teach Sunday school, at vacation Bible school, but now I want to do this on my own, you know, do a youth ministry with my grandchildren first and then go outside my my immediate family. So, and I'm such a note taker, you know, so. Anyway, God bless you. Thank you for blessing each and every one of us here with your presence.
6: Thank you. Yeah.
2: I'd like to thank you guys, too, for uh, coming, making the effort to come, and coming away from your villages and sacrificing your time and finances. In some cases, the churches to sent you, uh, we really appreciate that, too. We didn't know who was going to show up, so it's been cool to, to uh, be a part of this. And as I mentioned earlier, um, it's just a privilege no matter what age we are, to just try to be faithful and to have our confidence be in God's Word and see what His Holy Spirit does in our midst. Um, I would mention as well uh, all these videos um, we're going to post. We opened up a, um, a Facebook page for the seminary that you can find at facebook.com slash alaskabibleseminary. And on that, we post, we're we gonna be posting these videos if you or someone you know would like to look at them later. And for those that may not have the data internet to watch the video, uh, I will use the audio from it and put a link on there just for the audio as well, which should be a lot smaller um, and able to access the audio portion of each of these sessions. So look for that, and if you're not sure where it's at, um, I guess I can direct you to maybe Ed, and, uh, and he'll uh, help you out where it's at. I'll maybe put a, a link on the, on the actual seminary's website as well. So I'll look in both places there. So I, I missed the first part. Did you say you're going to make CDs? Not, not CDs that I'm aware of, but we'll, we'll put them in audio format on the internet, probably in a podcast. But I'll, what that'll be on the seminary Facebook page, there'll just be a link that you click. And you All can right. get to it from there. Somewhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just
0: not as, it's not as much, it doesn't use as much bandwidth or data to download. It's a smaller thing, okay. so, Thank you. yeah. All right, well, um, if I can, I, 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 I wanna reiterate what he said. It, it really is a privilege um, to get to be here. Um, and um, uh, I mean that is no small thing uh, that, uh, the gospel is incredible because uh, two young Gusics can minister with uh, Yupik elders and be blessed in mutually. Uh, that's Jesus um, and it's beautiful and it's, it's a taste of heaven um, because one day, uh, did you know that ethnicity makes it into eternity? Because he says, before the throne, he saw every tribe, and tongue, and nation before the throne, and it's a it, you know hearing, hearing uh, songs in Yupik, um, I'm gonna get to hear forever, uh, and hearing you, you, hearing you praise the same Jesus is just such uh, it, it really does bring tears to my eyes because it's so beautiful, um, and so it has been a really privilege uh, to. To be able to bless you, let me—if um, I can—just let me close this in prayer, and then uh, we'll we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we uh, we thank you for the incredible privilege of being your sons and daughters. Um, we know that that gift is purchased with the most precious blood of your Son Jesus, and um, uh, and and with that, Father, we realize the weight. Um, the cost of our discipleship, the cost of our salvation, um, and so God, we we know that you being our greatest joy, our greatest treasure, um, we want to take that message to the nations, um, to our neighbors, to to the villages that we come from, and the villages that are near to ours, and we want to take it to, to drunks, and we want to take it to abusive people and people that have been abused and older and younger and teenagers and men and women. And God, we just want people to know you. And so would you empower us as your sons and daughters and remind us of the fact that all authority, Jesus, has been given to you and you have sent us to go and make disciples of all nations. Empower us, God, with the reality that you are with us always to the end of the age. We love you, Father. And it's in the sweet and precious name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen.